Welcome back, everyone, to the Horror Shed Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jared. Underneath, we have the one and only South Jersey Slasher, Mr. Five time, five time, five time, five time, five time cosplay champion. Sorry to cut you off. That's fine. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, man. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. It's uh, 4th of July Eve. I'm off tomorrow. You were uh, off again, you bastard, but... Uh... You go back to work. Today's your uh, Saturday. Well, yep, so, today's um, my Saturday. So uh, this past weekend, you went to the movies. I went to see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And overall? I liked it. I'd give it about a C. I had fun. Okay. How, how would you rank it? It's out of the five, it's fourth. Okay, okay. Uh, Rick is currently watching the movie that shall not be ranked by you. <laughs> oh god why are you doing that rick guess it's going to be in his top three and why is our twitch chat screwed up let me see if i can't fix that yeah what's quick. going on there there we go there you go look at that uh okay so and the trailers you saw was like the last the last of the... Uh, the last voyage of the demeter i think it is right yeah about yeah. dracula coming over from Transylvania to England. Yeah, it didn't show much of him in um Which I, I it's good. I don't want to be spoiled. You know, as far yeah. as what he looks like. Well, yeah. That's cool. I just I just know the dog's gonna die. That's fine. The dog dies. No. Rick it's says it. he's gotta do his homework for Friday and boy it's a chore. Boy, just swatch the movies. They're good. Stop <laughs> being a little girl. Don't even want uh, don't even watch the last one. It doesn't count. And, uh, well, yeah, but Rick is, you know, he's gonna rank it, even though it's, uh, it's a Freddy movie, so. No, it's not. It's a piece of shit made by. <laughs> Bigger pieces of shit. Yes. So, um, also, they had the trailer for Oppenheimer, you said. Oh, can't wait for Oppenheimer. That's a horror so, story in itself. Yeah, so looking know? forward to Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah, it's got a good cast, and Cillian, Mur Cillian Murphy, right? Cillian Murphy, Matt yeah. Damon. There's just like a whole list. Yeah, and from what I what I listened to on the last podcast on the left, they did the guy that Matt Damon's playing is Justice because he wasn't that good looking. <laughs> so oh, um, that's funny. Yeah, and they said Oppenheimer actually has some kinky sex fetishes. I wonder if they're going to elaborate in the movie about that. Maybe. I'll have to yeah. say. Yeah, they actually, you know, it's funny because they, they had a TV show about that a couple years ago. I forget what channel it was on. It was like a limited series, and it had a decent cast about basically making that town that the scientists and their families lived in while they were working on that. Um, yeah. Christopher Nolan movie. I mean, I, I don't think there's a one bad Christopher Nolan movie that I've seen. No, no. He he knows how to shoot shit. And yeah. They're everyone's saying that the dialogue, like, even though it's three hours, every piece of dialogue is so important. So oh, I'm excited. For sure. I'm excited. Yeah. His movies I tend to have to watch twice mm -hmm. too, because you you there's so much that you're not going to retain it all. Oh, your old no. ass has probably got to watch this in three sittings. <laughs> you're not too off on that. Um, I didn't watch anything horror related. Uh, I did watch on Netflix the American Gladiators. I started it, but I haven't finished it yet. It's really good. It's it really is. Good. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean a lot of. I mean a lot of good stuff. Uh, you know they didn't talk about the the revival that they had like a couple years ago, but I remember watching that show growing up. Me like, too. I, I, I that last. I always wanted to shoot the rifles and shit at the guy shooting yeah. the balls. I don't remember the action figures, but I remember the video game. Oh, I remember the action figures. Yeah, yeah. I watched, um, um, what else do you watch? I watched both of the Extraction movies with Chris Hemsworth over the weekend. I like the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. Second one, um, they, they took it up a notch. Uh, I think it's obviously a John Wick clone as far as the action sequences. Yeah. More so in the second one. I mean, first one, yeah, but they really upped it and they definitely opened it up for a third one so um and that's pretty much all i well i did watch i gotta finish it because i fell asleep but you know i said you know i want to find something that i used to watch a lot of in the early 90s and what was big in the early 90s skateboarding okay 
And so I, I put in the 1989 classic Gleaming the Cube with Christian Bale. Yeah, I saw you put that on. Not Christian Bale, Christian Slater. Christian you know Slater, what became sorry. one of my favorite skateboard movies? Uh, let me guess. Um, skateboard movie. Hmm. Not sure what. The Lords of Dogtown. You know, with the documentary or was no, there a movie No, there's too? a movie. Oh, okay. And, you know, um, I didn't know this growing up because I really didn't know him you know, then, but Tony Hawk had a small role in Gleaming the Cube. Oh, did he? Uh, yeah, he played one of Christian, as I'm picking my nose, he played one of Christian Slater's friends, but it wasn't his first role. Someone had said, oh, it's Christian, a uh, guy, a friend of mine on Facebook, was asked, um, Tony Hawk's first movie, but actually, he did two Police Academy. Prior. He did Police Academy, I think, four, um, with whatever, Davis, I think David Spade was in that one. Or no, Davis Blade played a skateboarder, and he was he was one of the skateboarders. But he did two movies prior to Gleaming Cube. One of them being which Police Academy. But he didn't really have speaking roles. But this is his first speaking role. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I didn't. I mean, the only thing horror related, I started, and I'm behind. I started playing Resident Evil Village okay. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, yep. started the Last of Us show. And what do you what do you think? I'm enjoying the shit out of it. It's really good. Very good. I just want and you know what sucks? I'm more interested in the prequel story, like how the outbreak started, than I am into their trek. Just because the fungal thing's a really cool idea. But then you finally get, you know, Big Daddy Pedro and this awesome chick. I mean, keep going to these fucking side stories. I don't give a shit about side stories. Well, there was a lot of DLC in the game, so I I but you know what though? I, I it went by so quick, like the season finale, like I didn't think it would be the season finale. I felt like wow, that went by really quick. Yeah, so, the, and how many episodes are there? Because I'm on like, I think it's like ten maybe. Uh, I'm on five, so I'm moving pretty Okay, good. there's like eight or ten, something like that. So Yeah. So but Pedro Pedro's back must be hurting. I know <laughs> carrying all these damn shows. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, I went to Blairstown Diner yesterday. Uh, I guess I had to go pick up a coffee mug for BJ Crowder and a hat for uh, Rick. And I was like, wow, I, I tried one on to see if it would fit my big head. And it does. So I bought one for myself. They're nice hats. And they came out good. Yeah, they did. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's a pain but, in the ass to get hats sewn like that. So yeah, yeah. So you got good news. You recently uh, won something. Like oh, I got day. good news for both this and the haunts. We're upgrading the camera, y'all. Yeah, we're I am 4K. so excited. Oh, well, we're kind of 4K now. No, well, on this, but for your future, re- future like on the street recordings. Oh, those were 4K. But this is actual. Yeah, they're oh, 4K. Yeah. Okay. But this isn't phone 4K anymore. We're going DSLR, 4K at 60, full power, baby. I'm excited. I got to update some shit on the computer. I got to buy a fucking camera stand, an SD card reader, a capture card. But what's cool with a capture card is anything that puts out in an HDMI, I could take right to here. Oh, nice. DVDs, Blu-ray players, streaming platforms. I could cut scenes, and, you know, avoid the um, copyright because, you know, okay. if it's within two seconds, you're good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we can make hell of a killer videos with anything we want. Nice. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so um, you're going to be on Rick's show this Friday. I will be on Friday. The whole damn enchilada. You're going to be ranking the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah, I got to write that down. I'm, I'm surprised you don't have a list already pre-made. This it always changes. Of... Really? Yeah, between New Nightmare 3 and 1 and Freddy's Dead, it always just changes for me. Gotcha. <clears throat> you know, it depends on what I'm feeling. And uh, we're getting closer to the haunt season. Getting excited. I am. We are. And I am happy to report we are. The survey says... Close that out. Start again. Sixty-seven days from haunt season. Wow. So what what day does that bring us to? September ninth. Nice. And what's your first haunt you going to? Field of Screams. Nice. Okay. And then we're going to um, Reaper's Revenge September thirtieth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. And we're doing. Yeah. We have we have filming dates set up for a couple projects we're working on. 
Yes, so, we do. Yeah, we got, we got a lot be, of shit uh, in the hopper. A week from Saturday yep. of this week. And I just uh, talked to the missus just to remind her, and she's she's got it on her calendar. Good, good. Yeah. Because I was going to put it on her fucking Google calendar. Come down and have some damn ribs. <laughs> All right. So we're pretty much almost wrapping up the Warren Files. We have tonight's episode, and then we're going to close it off with um, the Amityville murders, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't think we need to go into the werewolf. It's very weird and... The cemetery is a cemetery, so okay. let's get into The Devil Made Me Do It. Guys, this, this, is, just... this is the story that um, the inspiration for The Conjuring 3 was after. So let's watch the trailer for The Conjuring 3. Hey! You okay there? Jesus. I think I hurt someone. This is Ed Warren, here with Lorraine. All right, let's get started. Residents of Brookfield were shocked this afternoon by the broad daylight murder of Bruno Sauls. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. Whatever was going on, whatever happened that day, that was not Arnie. It's a witch's totem. We think your family was cursed. And that connection's still broken. I'm only interested in reality. But I can see things that your people can't. <laughs> Something terrible happened here. Master Satan is not an adversary to be taken lightly. She's doing it again. She's reaching out to the darkness. Lorraine, you need to come back. You're saving him worth everything you have. Because that's what it may very well cost you. Alright guys, so that was the trailer for The Conjuring 3. It was roughly taken from this story about Arnie Johnson. The devil made me do it. So the main article I got today was from RadioTimes.com, and it was a pretty good one. We also have uh, some videos to watch from the Warrens themselves, and let's take a look at Arnie Johnson to begin with. Here's him uh, going to jail after his trial. He looks so much older than, like, how he's depicted in the movie because he's supposed to be like in his early 20s i think and but you know during those times people who were young looked older yep. but uh and the the story starts with a exorcism of david gladsell the young man so we yeah. can see him there and then we, and who was he was the brother right brother of the fiance yeah okay so then we also have david gladsell older I think this oh. is, was at, I don't know what he does now. I think some kind of insurance salesman or something. Okay. And then we have the fiance, Debbie Glatzel. All right. So let us get into this. Get my videos ready. Since it opened at the cinema, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It has been attracting plenty of horror fans, racing to the top of the UK box office in the first week after release. 
did the same in America, except it released during COVID. Oh, really? No, I don't. It, yeah, it came okay. right to HBO Max on the release night. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Naturally, a good proportion of those viewers have since been looking to find out as much as possible about the real-life case that inspired the events of the film, just how many liberties the horror flick took with the truth. The case in question is the trial of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, a man who was convicted of manslaughter in Connecticut in 1981, becoming the first person to have claimed a defense of demonic possession during a murder trial. The case quickly became known as the Devil Made Me Do It case, hence the film's subtitle, with paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren drafted in to advise, although as you might expect, the judge was not particularly interested in such a fantastical defense. The Conjuring 3 is inspired by the trial of 19-year-old Arnie Johnson, who was charged with murdering, murdering his landlord, Alan Bobo Bono, in February of 1981. During the trial, the defendant gained infamy for becoming the first person to claim a defense of demonic possession in a United States court, although perhaps unsurprisingly the version of events was not accepted by the judge. His defense rested on testimony given by the family of his fiancée, Debbie Glatzel. Debbie's 11-year-old brother had reportedly been the subject of a demonic possession in the months prior to the murder, with his parents having grown increasingly worried by a number of unexplained and ominous events. The story really starts in July of 1980, when the 11-year-old David Glatzel was helping Johnson clean up a Connecticut rental property he was prepping to move so he could move in. While there, while there David claimed to have come across a burnt and black-looking old man who had pushed him into a waterbed, saying it would bring them harm if they moved into the house. When David returned home, he continued to see the old man. He described him as having a white beard, wearing jeans, and a flannel shirt. David claimed the man's skin was charred as if he had burnt, had been burnt. The young boy experienced night terrors and woke up with bruises and scratches on his body. He'd wake screaming and tell his parents he'd seen the sunken features of the old man like an animal, with horns, pointy ears, and jagged teeth. The family said they also had heard unexplained noises coming from their attic. In trying to get to the bottom of the issue, they had called in Ed and Lorraine Warren, who by this point were already well-known paranormal experts to diagnose and cure their son. So let's watch our first video from the Warrens. Tonight we're going to speak of a fascinating case that happened right here in Connecticut, the Brookfield Demon Murder Case, which was also made into a book that we have here and also made into a movie of the week called The Demon Murder Case. And what I'd like to do is start off, if I could, with you, Lorraine. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in this case right from the start? We were contacted by Father Dennis, who at that time was pastor of St. Joseph's Church in Brookfield, Tony. Mm -hmm. And the call came in, and he spoke about a young boy <clears throat> who he had been trying to help, but recognized it as a case of possession. He told me that he was very leery of becoming involved in this case mm -hmm. because he had been assigned by the bishop to exercise another home, but this was not of an individual now, of a home that had infestation going on that we investigated. But he said, I want you to know that you have my prayers. At that time, he was going to Ireland with his mom, and he was concerned, I think, that the devil would get back at him maybe through his mother. Mm -hmm. Now, he spoke of David and David's problems. He said that David had a slight learning disability, and but there was very bizarre behavior occurring to this young 11-year-old boy. When he mentioned about the boy's problem with a learning disability, we had contacted a doctor in Trumbull, Dr. Jim Grasso, and asked him if he would be willing to go to the home with us that night. Mm -hmm. It was a real hot night, Tony. And the reason we asked Dr. Jim Grasso was because he too had a son with a similar problem. And we felt that if there were type of medication, maybe that David would be on that might have been causing it, that he would recognize that. But that was not the case. Mm -hmm. David's case was not severe enough to have any type of medication. 
David was in the very beginning stages of demonic possession. All right. We got demons. We got no, no. <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> You'll see. Ed Warren said he heard banging and growling sounds coming from their basement, and then he also said a rocking chair would move on its own. Speaking of the paranormal researcher, Tony Spira, Ed claimed David's toys dinosaur also walked on its own towards the family. Okay. He also said a deep voice spoke to them. Beware, you're all going to die. Hmm. Lorraine also claimed she saw a black mist appear next to David while her husband interviewed him. While Ed interviewed the boy, I saw a black misty form next to him, which told me we were dealing with something of a negative nature. Soon the child was complaining that invisible hands were choking him, and there were red marks on him. He said that he had the feeling of being hit, she told People Magazine. David's mother, Judy, had previously claimed it was a ghost, but the Warrens rejected this idea, saying it was an indicator of a demon. <laughs> Lorraine also claimed she saw David being choked by invisible hands, and he told her, yeah, you already told me this. She told people that she... Lorraine also claimed, Lorraine also claimed he spoke in unrecognizable voices, that he recited passages of the Bible as well as Paradise Lost. Debbie Gladstone also claimed he spit, bit, kicked, and swore at her, and he flopped around head to toe like a ragdoll. She also told the Chippewa Herald Telegram that he manifests just a face on the wall, high cheekbones, a narrow chin, a thin nose, big black eyes hidden in dark holes. He showed his teeth. All right. Ed Warren also told the Washington Post, right away, I knew there was something to this. I felt like a good fisherman when he knows there's something on the line. He added that he thought there were 43 demons inside the boy, Whoa. and David named them all. 43 demons. So are you going to change that bullshit meter and add 16 to 43? <laughs> Once we get to that video. So here's video number two. When we got in the house, we were sitting there at the table talking. Now, you would watch David, and he would be doodling you know, drawing or something like that. And he'd be concentrating on what he was doing. And then he would look up, and it was no longer a little 11-year-old boy. Now, this 11-year-old boy would become extremely strong. i seen nights when it would take four and five men to hold him down. He would be ranting and raving, raving and uh, yelling, uh, there was times when he would attack his mother. Now, this boy loved his mother. He loved his father. And uh, at one time, he actually broke the mother's nose, I believe. Arnie Johnson, who was a young man that was engaged to his, uh, his sister, Debbie, would help every night to control the boy. He'd come home from work. He was a landscaper, worked very hard. And uh, he'd have his supper, lay down. But then just around 11 o'clock was when this would occur to David. <clears throat> As Lorraine said, all of a sudden, you'd look at him. He was normal. The next second, it wasn't David anymore. And uh, this would go on until the sun came up. Uh, the boy would roll around. Uh, he would go into fits. Uh, I seen one time when he actually levitated, had extreme strength. Uh, terrible obscenities would come from him. And Arnie Johnson, uh, who was a young man, who I would call probably uh, an all-American boy. He loved sports. He was into baseball. He had many awards for baseball. He loved fishing. And uh, he and Debbie, his fiance, who was David's sister, would go off fishing and they'd have a good time. But this kid, 18 years old at the time, would stay awake all night long and then go to work the next morning. But he made a fatal mistake. One night he said, and he, he screamed at these devils, mm -hmm. take me on, leave my little buddy alone. He, well, challenged. he got his wish. He, he challenged the, he challenged, the demonic. He challenged the demonic. So I guess we don't challenge the demonic. Well, 
I mean, I hear you're inviting them, and they did show that in the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like Zach Baggins stuff right there. Yep. So, David <laughs> Glatzel's exorcism. In the movie, Father Gordon, Steve Cotier, Steve Cotier, Cotier, whatever, blesses the home. The priest's name was changed for the movie, but a Roman Catholic priest did visit the home to bless it. After continued efforts from the Warrens, the Glatzels, and multiple priests, including Reverend Francis Virgilic, a formal exorcism took place, with witnesses claiming that a demon fled the child's body. Ed Warren claimed Arnie, who was present at the exorcist, shouted, Take me on! Leave my little buddy alone! Apparently, David showed signs of improving, but Arnie started to deteriorate. TV series A Haunting covered this case in the episode Where Demons Dwell. Claiming that the demon took control of Johnson's car, forcing it into a tree. While he was uninjured, he was shaken by the experience. The series also blamed a demon when Johnson fell from a tree while working. So let's get into that next video. Suspected. When you least suspect. Now, about what happened uh, was actually um, Arnie had gone uh, to a pizza parlor with uh, Debbie, his fiance, and his sisters. They met Alan Bono there, a friend of theirs. They went back to the uh, Bono's house, and Arnie disappeared for a few minutes. When he came back, he was somebody entirely different. What now? When he, he doesn't recognize or know anything about what happened from that point on. Well, now, Tony, we're we're going to backtrack from time to time. What I'd like to do, if I could, if I could interrupt for one moment, I know Ed that you and Lorraine both have brought slides tonight. You yes. think perhaps we should look at perhaps the first few slides just to get an idea yeah, of what this is all about. Yes, that's a good idea. So if we could, I'd like to bring up, if we could bring up that first slide and we'll let all you right. talk about it. The first um, slide, of course, is of St. Joseph's Church okay. in Brookfield, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. All right. This is where the first exorcism took place. Okay. And uh, it's an exorcism that I'll never forget. Uh, the first one actually was in the convent. Mm -hmm. And that was not successful. Uh, it was that morning when David came under possession and would not <clears throat> get into the car. He ran away from his family. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a knife. Uh, he actually tried to kill his mother and his grandmother. And this is not David. David was a very complacent child, very docile. Mm -hmm. And when I walked in, he was laying on the bed in a fetus position. This priest was standing alongside of him. And I said to the priest, don't stand so close, because he had a bad habit of taking his fist and just hitting you. Mm -hmm. The priest backed up, and suddenly that boy rose up out of the bed very swiftly, landed on the floor, mm -hmm. ran into a bathroom, and locked the door. He would not come out. Hysterical laughter came from the bathroom. Finally, we broke the door. We got him out of there. We brought him uh, to the convent at St. Joseph's where the exorcism was performed on September 9th, the birthday of the Blessed Mother. Sep yeah, September 8th. And we felt that uh, this would be successful. And he told us that what they called the beast, which was seen many times in the house and out in the grounds, was back at the house. I went back there, and I had taken holy water with me while the priest stayed in the convent. I then went through the house and I use what we call religious provocation. I sprinkled the holy water and there was a rocking chair there. Mm -hmm. This rocking chair suddenly started to move back violently, back and forth. Mm -hmm. There were loud pounding sounds in the house. Mm -hmm. And then what I could hear is growling down in the cellar. Now these were some of the sounds that we heard the very first night that we went there with Dr. Giangrasso. But it sounded like somebody had a two by four and was hitting, hitting. the floor. The underneath floor, us, but the nobody actors, was there. Yeah, the what's, this, what's this second slide that we're going to see here, Ed? All right, these are up. some of the headlines. Terrifying story behind the devil-made youth kill case. Mm -hmm. That's Debbie Glotzel that you see there, who was a fiancé right. of Arnie, and that's Arnie way over in the corner up there. Okay. And we can see the next one. Can we but, that? Okay, they're showing you yeah, as the investigators in the, the case. Yes. Now, what year did you say this was? 1980 that we became involved in the case, Tony. Mm -hmm. But, um, y you know, one thing that we have to stress that's very important is that 
we knew it was inevitable that there was going to be a tragedy. Did you? <laughs> Did you know it was inevitable? Where's Arnie Johnson now? What happened after Conjuring 3? So let's go to Alan Bono's murder. Clearly not content with its newfound freedom, though, the story goes that the spirit that immediately took control of Arnie Johnson, and it was under his control that the murder of the landlord took place several months later. Johnson and Debbie Gladsell decided against renting the original home and instead rented a small house near Debbie's work. Debbie was working as a dog groomer for the landlord, Alan Bono, 40, who was also the kennel manager. Bono, who has been renamed in the movie as Bruno Sauls, lived in an apartment above the kennels. On the day of the murder, Johnson had taken the day off work and spent the day with Debbie, 26, at the kennel. Along with some other companions, Debbie, Johnson, and Bono had lunch at a local restaurant and enjoyed a few drinks, becoming drunk in the process. And when they later returned to the kennel, a heated fight broke out with Bono becoming increasingly agitated. During this argument, Bono seized Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary, who had also been present and refused to let her go, which then led Johnson to confront him and eventually stab him repeatedly with a five-inch pocket knife, all while growling like an animal. Bono suffered four or five tremendous wounds, mainly to his chest area. Bono died several hours later, and Johnson was later arrested roughly two miles away from the murder. The murder is believed to be the first murder in Brookfield, Connecticut's 193-year history, and the first in the 30 years since the town had police records. So this was the 80s. You only had police records since the 50s? <laughs> what the fuck are you guys doing? So the next day, Lorraine Warren immediately claimed that it was a case of demonic possession, which naturally led to much media coverage around the world. So let's go to our next video. Johnson was under diabolical possession. He didn't know what happened for at least two hours. In that two hours, he had killed Alan Bono. This young man wouldn't hurt anyone or anything. You have to know Arnie Johnson like we knew him. Mm -hmm. Very polite, uh, a very good living young man, very hard working. He worked until five o'clock, landscaping, cutting trees, have his supper, go to bed until 11. Mm -hmm. Then he'd get up and he'd step all night long, With holding this young boy down. He would, he would have David sleep next to him so that the family, the parents, <clears throat> Judy and Carl Glotzel, this took a terrible toll on this family. You cannot believe the emotional and physical toll. I, I always said that if a court would allow us to bring our evidence into this case, that, that there is uh, the, the lawyer, the Martin attorney. Manella, yeah. and uh, he put his position uh, in jeopardy as a lawyer by going in on this case, but he knew that the boy mm -hmm. was possessed. He felt we could win the case never knowing that the judge would not allow us to bring in our evidence. Mm -hmm. But Lorraine and I set a precedent in 1990 in which we did win a case where a, a woman was driven out of a house in Hebron, Connecticut. That was haunted by ghosts. We would have won this case, too. And Arnie Johnson would have not gone to prison. Who the fuck do you think you are? thinking that the jury just needs to hear your fucking evidence. Right, yeah. That right there, here, dickhead. Like, where, <laughs> who the fuck do you... Are you a judge? No, you're an asshole fucking scammer who wants to... Nobody gives a fuck about your evidence. Here's another one, just for being a fucking dickhole. Alright. Yeah, that, that turned me the wrong way when I fucking heard that earlier. Alright. Arnie Johnson's trial. Johnson's trial began on 28th of October, 1981, at Connecticut's Superior Court in Danbury. Johnson's lawyer, Martin Minelia, attempted to enter a plea of not guilty due to demonic possession, stating Johnson was possessed by a demon, and it was a demon who actually manipulated his body. It was the first known court case in the U.S. history that had attempted this defense. Minella, speaking about the case and the fame that followed, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil. 
However, the plea of not guilty due to demonic possession was immediately thrown out by presiding judge Robert Callahan, who said it would be irrelative and unscientific to allow testimony on these grounds. And so despite the ensuing media attention, the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession. Johnson's defense claimed that he hadn't been the same after Glatzel's exorcism, and witnesses were called upon saying they saw a demon transfer from Glatzel to Johnson. Debbie Glatzel also testified that Johnson behaved similarly to Glatzel. Ed Warren claimed Johnson had made a fatal mistake by taunting the alleged demon. Debbie claimed Johnson had become had come to Bono's apartment to repair his stereo for him, but that Bono had been drinking red wine and the pair got into an argument about payment for the repair. She also said Johnson was in a trance when he stabbed Bono. According to reports, and in three months Debbie and Johnson had lived next to Bono, they had been friends. The police believe that Bono and Debbie's relationship was more than boss and employee, but Debbie denied this despite the police claiming the argument was over her rather than the stereo. The Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It does take this angle in the story exploring the Jealous Lover plot, which was also shown in the 1983 movie The Demon Murder Case, hmm. starring Kevin Douchebag. I mean, I'm oh. sorry, Kevin Bacon. I'll have to look that one up and see if I can find that anywhere. After the jury deliberated for more than three days, Johnson was convicted of first-degree manslaughter on 24th of November 1981 and was sentenced to between 10 and 20 years in prison. He was released in 1986, having only served five years of his sentence. Even though demonic possession was not actually allowed as a legitimate defense in the trial, the case had become known as the Devil Made Me Do It case. Hence where they got all the thing. So let's hear from Asshole again. Say, in your professional opinion, that he was possessed by a devil or a demon or what, what would it be exactly? He was possessed by devils. De by devils. Yeah, in fact, say. when they were, were spending the night at the Glossal home, I went into my study, and I called on the devil. I thought it was one devil, which they called the beast, to come to where I was at so I could bind the spirit of that devil so well, it wouldn't go back into okay, the house. Okay, what's that bind? What's that mean? Binding of the spirit. The priests were casting out the devils of the house. I felt that the beast would then come to where I was, and I would bind the spirit through that ritual. But, Tony, that was one of the most frightening evenings of my life. There was not one devil. There were 43 of them. 43 which devils. came to me as a kaleidoscope, as if you were watching one horrible face after another. And remember, I was in that study by myself. I was say, what did you do? What, what, what happened? What did you do? If it was me, I think I'd have ran out. What did you well, do? Well, I have to be honest with you. I was just stunned. I couldn't move. I was watching. It happened very quickly. And as I watched it, it was like a kaleidoscope of horrible faces coming to me. I knew that I had no power up against this. I felt it was one devil, mm -hmm. and which they called the beast. But when I seen over 40 of them, I knew that we were dealing with the hierarchy of the diabolical world. Mm -hmm. At that point, I gave it up, and I went out of the study. Oh, so you did leave. I left, yes, because I knew that I did not have any control over what was happening here. Okay, so let's talk about that one for a minute here. Ladies okay, and I'm not a very religious person, but I grew up being told that there was only one devil. Okay, so we'll hit, we'll, we'll hit him up with a bullshit meter, because that's okay. that's everything I've learned. There's one <laughs> devil. So there's that. Okay. There's the 19. Now, he said it was like looking through a kaleidoscope. That's not how a kaleidoscope works, moron. So it like a, it's here's like a bullshit. Yeah, it twists yeah. into all. So he's yeah. thinking slideshow or something if he's yeah. talking 42 different ones. But if you're looking at one <laughs> and you have a kaleidoscope, you're going to see 42. So either you're a moron or don't know shit. Here's another one. <laughs> what really? Like, it's the over the top shit is how these people get caught. Yeah. And I, I'm really liking the set decor of this one. They got like. Um, a painting that looks like the vision from Marvel. They have a cobra on the coffee table, and then two books, but I can't make out what books those are. But and uh, the fucking terrible audio and video by fucking dickhead. <laughs> and I think I my grandmom had that same couch. I probably did. <laughs> All right. So where are the Glatzels and Johnson now? 
you know what? Let's play this fucking last video so we can stop hearing to them. And I'm pretty, because that's pretty much takes us to here, I believe. Let's do it. So what was the outcome of that trial? Well, the outcome was that uh, Arnie couldn't, we couldn't use the defense of so the devil made him do it. So they, I think it was manslaughter. Yes, because and, uh, he served very Arnie little got, time. Uh, four years, but I think he only did uh, two years of that. And you couldn't keep a young man like this in prison for something he didn't do. No, and his behavior was excellent. But Tony, he was, uh, he, him and Debbie were married in prison. Oh, they were. They, were. they have they, a business together. They today, live in the for today. They're, they have they're two, happy. They have two sons. They're normal. Everything's normal. Oh, now. yes. Very normal. Oh, they're now, very how about normal. David? Is David doing okay? David, David? David works with his dad. Very normal. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's uh, fine. Young man today, I guess, uh, soon to be married or whatever he's going to be doing. Yeah. If we could digress for just a minute. Now, I know when we first started talking about the case. Yes. I meant to ask, but I forgot. What? Is it the reason that David oh, yes. was possessed in the first place? The reason David became possessed was because his mother and sister, unfortunately, were fooling around with witchcraft. They met a group of people mm -hmm. in upstate New York while they were uh, snowmobiling. And these people, from what we understand, were into satanic activities. Had them go back to their house that night. And uh, for some reason, they turned on the mother. And uh, when Debbie and Arnie at home were looking for a rent. The first time that the beast made itself known was in this small house in Brookfield mm -hmm. where David said that something pushed him onto the bed and he could see an old man. And the description was a very, high, very horrifying description. Well, mm -hmm. he, he said that this is how he explained it. He explained that this man was standing there. He told about the plaid shirt the guy was wearing, told everything about the guy, but that night, what he could see in that house appeared in the Brookfield home, their own home, only now, this little 11-year-old kid, this is how he put it, he was there again in my bedroom, but now he looked all burnt, and he had feet like a deer. Oops. Oh, boy. That's an amazing case. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's interested in knowing a little bit more about the case, this is the book that was written back in 1980 by Gerald Brittle and Ed Lorraine Warren, The Devil in Connecticut. Um, I read the book. It's a fascinating book. For anyone who wants to get the book, it's kind of difficult to get. But if you do find it, you won't be disappointed. And as an added treat, I know Ed and Lorraine would be more than willing to autograph the book for you. And Lorraine, Ed, how can they, again, contact you if they have any problems or questions or letters mm -hmm. they'd like to write? Well, Tony, we do get, we do, re we are receiving a lot of letters. All right. Well, that doesn't matter anymore because they're all gone. Um, <laughs> why is the book hard to get? And it's only probably like 10 years afterwards, you know? I mean, like, why, yeah, why was it hard to get? Um, maybe... What's the name of the book? Uh, the Devil in Connecticut. The Devil in Connecticut. I'm looking it up on eBay. All right, you look it up on eBay. So, where are the Glatzels and Johnson now? Johnson married Debbie Glatzel while he was in prison. He also got his high school diploma while inside. The pair went on to have two children. Lorraine Warren went on to write the book, The Devil in Connecticut, with Gerard Brittle detailing the case. And they shared the profits from the sales with the Glatzel family. David's brother, Carl Glatz, he did speak out against the book when it was published and republished in 2006, saying it was a complete lie and that the Warrens concocted a phony story about demons and attempt to get rich and famous at our expense. There you go. This is for you, Gary. There's a boom. 22. Carl so claimed... I'm, I'm, so I'm sorry. I was looking at the books when you were talking about the Glatzels. So they're still they're still married to this day? Um, still read. I don't know. Oh, okay. We'll see. Um, Carl claimed the Warrens told the family they'd be millionaires. It was later confirmed they were paid $2,000. Carl also says David was suffering with his mental health at the time, but he recovered. In 2007, David and Carl filed a lawsuit against Brittle and the Warrens for unspecified financial damages. They sued the authors and publishers for violating their privacy and intentional infliction of emotional distress. This is for being assholes. 
Um, Brittle claims his book is based on fact, and he interviewed the Gratzel family for more than 100 hours, which he has video of. Lorraine Warren also said the six priests who performed exorcism on Gladsell agreed that he was possessed. Debbie Gladsell and Arnie Johnson have always backed the account of the possession, but David's father denies his son was possessed. How the movie tackles such a complicated case and how closely they stick to the real-life events is yet to be seen. So, at one point in the film, Ed Warren makes reference to Michael Taylor, an Englishman who had used the demonic possession as part of his defense in a previous murder trial in the UK. This was indeed a real-life case. Taylor, having been convicted of murdering his wife shortly after he received an exorcism in 1974, although it's not strictly true that he pled innocent due to demonic possession. Taylor was part of a religious group that had decided his unusual behavior over a period of several months could only be the result of demonic possession, and Vickers reportedly said he was possessed by as many as 40 demons. Hmm, that's not familiar. With an eight-hour exorcism needed to root them out. This was mentioned in his trial, but he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, not by reason by demonic possession, and in fact, his lawyers held a religious group he was a member partly responsible for this. Wow. Hmm. So, what year did that happen? In the 70s. Oh. 74. 40 demons, crime <laughs> case. Here, here's two more, you fucks. <laughs> See, right there, just all-out fucking bullshit. Yeah. Sucks. Like they, It's like they didn't even try to hide this one. Right. We're going full-out what they did in the UK. He didn't use my defense. You're not a lawyer, asshole. You have no bounds. You have no credit. Nobody gives a fuck what you have to say in a court of law. <laughs> I'm Ed Warren, and they didn't use my defense. Shut the fuck up. So real quick, and you know I what? Up... I'm hitting this again because he's pissing me off. <laughs> so I looked up on eBay. So it, um, there's a couple of versions. I'm thinking the older ones that were that was released like in the early '80s. That's going as high between anywhere from forty to seventy six dollars. Um, the republished one that um the Glassels or no the brothers were talking about. Yeah. Um. 10 bucks. They can fucking keep the 10 bucks. <laughs> <sighs> Just like they didn't even bother hiding this one. Like it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was over yeah, the copycat. top. Yep. It was. It was overall a copycat. How do you just come up the whole we've done every case, guys. It's been demon after demon after demon after demon. Well all of a sudden not it's every devils. Case. That's like thousands of cases. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. The hundred thousand cases they did in <laughs> 40 years. You know what? Fuck them. There's another one. Just for pissing me <laughs> off. Don't give me a button. Guys, this has been The Devil Made You Do It. Um, do you got any final thoughts, sir? Uh, no. Um, just like, you know, overall, like, as far as just the Conjuring movies, this was James Swan's. You could tell it wasn't directed by him, obviously. And I think it was a different composer, too. So um, I'm not 100% sure, but I felt like the music didn't just have the same feeling. You know, it was scary because that's what I love about the Conjuring mu movies is the music. Was no, this my it favorite? was. It was the, it same, was the same composer? Yeah. Okay. It probably just, I mean, but, you know. The was, director might have wanted to take it a different way. Yeah. Um, was this my favorite one? Like, it's, eh. I, I, I love the first one. Enfield was okay. This one. It was good, but not my the first one's my. It's favorite. worth I, watching. Like I'm not going watching. out of my way. Yeah, I'm a completist. So when the Conjuring movies come out, I watch them. I collect them. I have all the spinoffs and everything. Um, I when for cases like these, I like the real story behind the Hollywood story. Well, we just but had it, and it was a load of dog shit. Was the cliff scene in the book? Do you know? I don't know if it's in the book, but it was definitely in the fucking movie, and Ed's fat ass wasn't diving over a cliff to save Lorraine. Yeah. A little awesome. over the top. Good and a little job. unknown fact is uh, Joseph Bashara is the composer for all of these, and he's actually the Annabelle demon. Really? Yeah, he plays the Annabelle demon. 
and that demon was scary as hell. Yeah, I know. I just <laughs> got done. Uh, we we watched uh, Annabelle Creation this weekend. My it's, kid wants to run through the introduced. Uh, yeah, yeah. That scene where she sees the demon picking Annabelle up. Oh man, I get chills just thinking about like it. Like she's peeking through the bed and she sees the hand come over mm-hmm. a pull. Yeah, he liked that one. I think that one was was his favorite. It was a great okay. movie, Annabelle. Creation. Yeah, I didn't like Annabelle Comes Home. That was like, I did. It introduced all their other bullshit yeah, stories. It was cool seeing like their museum or whatever you want to call it, you know. So, and you can't go wrong with McKenna Grace, so no. And you know who I think could play Tony Spera in a movie? Jonah Hill. <laughs> he has the you know, he has longer hair. Like yeah. Kind of, I could I could see him, you know, because Tony Spera's full of shit. Jonah yep. Jonah Hill plays great characters like that. We're so. full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. So I guess this is going to lead us into the Amityville next. Guys, right? up next is Amityville. I have uh, part I one done. What is it? How many parts is it going to be? Two. Two. All right. So how are we breaking it down? The murders and the yep. the horror. All right. Cool. And the Lutz awesome. family. Nice. I always like. I care more <laughs> about the murders than I do the Lutz because, just. A lot of you guys will hear it next week because yeah. there's still 60 years later, so many fucking unanswered questions. Yeah, and uh, we'll never know, unfortunately. The real well, story. I got some evidence that uh, oh, there's a little uh, not oh, okay. new, but I okay. proved existing evidence wrong talking to a couple experts. Uh, so by you- Rick Astuna? <laughs> no, it was evidence brought forth by Rick Asuna that I proved him okay. fucking wrong. So okay. only on the Horror Shed podcast will you hear this. Oh, speaking of which, I didn't talk about this in the beginning, but when I was going to the diner, I stopped by the gravesite of Princess Doe. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was nice that they uh, uh, put out her photo and someone decided to put a bong there. You know? Hey, maybe demons <laughs> like to get high. <laughs> yeah so uh it was it was cool because it's my it's actually my first time visiting the gravesite since i first found it back in 2010 so uh and i had to kind of retrace my steps because i knew where it was and it was just over like 25 yards if that from where i went to originally so very nice. cool yeah, so Amityville's up next. Rick Paulton will be very excited. Yes, he will. So, uh, guys, if you're still listening, like, subscribe. Just yeah, keep awesome. sharing. Keep, you know, tell a friend so they can tell a friend. We're getting up there in the uh, subscriptions. Uh, I think we're at... Two, what are we at? 250? 247. 247. Okay, my goal is to get to 350. That's my personal goal. <laughs> so let's let's my goal is it. 400, and then we'll yeah. start working towards that thousand. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. This has been the Horror Shed Podcast. We're out every Monday. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, your sister's ass, whatever. <laughs> we'll see you guys next Monday. See you next Monday. It's bad.